So that's the scripture reading on the wall. So you're looking that up. Um, and uh, we're going to read a really, 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 really familiar story. And it's so familiar that once I start it, you could finish it off without noticing. And that's so dangerous. So we need help this morning. So, Father, could you deliver us from over-familiarity with your word? And would you meet with us now as we hear your word? And would you let us see Jesus in what we're about to see? And we just thank you that you are a God who reveals yourself in ways that we can hear and understand and take hold of. We pray that over each of our hearts and our minds this morning. Amen. So we're going to start in 5 verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, well, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and he picked up what he'd been lying on and he went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. This is the word of the Lord. So, Father, we just want to pray that when Andrew comes up, Lord, that we would uh, hear his voice, but that we would hear your truth. That you would, Lord, cut open our hearts and our minds so that we can know you. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Rachel. Um, we're just continuing uh, 
this series in Luke, working our way through kind of verse by verse Luke's gospel. Um, if you're new to Village, that's what we do. We just kind of work our way through books of the Bible at a time. Uh, and we've kind of reached a stage now where um, Rachel's right that some of this stuff, if you've been around church, even if you went to Sunday school as a Wayne, you probably, some of these stories are familiar to you. And um, it's kind of, we, we almost take this as like the normal part of Jesus' ministry, which is really strange because it's so completely abnormal and extraordinary. Um, Jesus casting out demons and healing sick people. Um, and so what we need to bear in mind is that everything that Jesus is doing at this stage is about announcing that something new has happened. He's talking about, he's really showing that the, the age of the Messiah has come, the messianic age, uh, that the kingdom of God ha has begun, the Savior has come. Everything he says and everything he does is, is about showing all this stuff in the Old Testament that you've read and that you know uh, is coming true, that's coming through, true through me. That's what Jesus is doing. And today in these two stories, this one about a leper and one about a paralyzed man, um, well, you might be wondering, well, are they two different stories? Well, actually, these two stories are about one thing. They're about displaying, yes, that that messianic age has come, that the age of the kingdom of God has come, but they're also reinforcing for us something about Jesus. Um, I say this all the time, like, who, that's the only reason we're here, um, a long, long, long time ago, somebody, whenever I first spoke in a church, someone said to me, make much of Jesus. And that's what I want to do today. Um, that's what I want to do every Sunday. But these two stories together have one message about Jesus. And it's about showing us who, who Jesus has come for and what he has come to do. I just want to pray again, actually. Um, let, let's pause for a second and pray and ask for God's help as we look at his word. Father, we need to hear your voice. There's so many other voices that seem so more powerful and seem so more convincing. Um, so Lord, I just pray you give us ears to hear only your voice this morning. Help me as I speak to your people. Um, help us to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I, wonder if, I wonder if I said to you, um, I have the power to give you whatever you want. Um, if I said to you, I have the power right now to grant your deepest desires what would you ask me for? Now, let's just take for a second that, I mean, it's a hypothetical that I actually do have the power to do that. What would you ask me for? I'm guessing for a lot of us, it would probably, our, our thought might first go to money, um, financial security. Um, so you might ask me uh, to set you up in a nice house with the mortgage paid off and a decent income so that you, you never have to be financially insecure in any way ever again. You've seen those adverts for the lottery, which is like 10 grand a month for life or something like that. You might ask for something like that. Um, maybe you might ask me to make you relationally secure. I think that's another big one for a lot of us. So you might ask me to put you in a secure marriage with the man or woman of your dreams Someone who's the perfect match for you and that you can grow old with. But then you might start thinking about growing old and your thoughts might turn to your health. So you might ask me to make you healthy and fit, give you a strong heart and a cancer-free body so that you have the best chance of living a long and happy life with your perfect match and your perfect home with your perfect financial security. No worries at all. But maybe you have an ongoing health problem that you just want to be healed from. So, so maybe you want to be free from chronic pain uh, or you want to be free from anxiety that doesn't seem to leave you alone. I, I was thinking about this and I was like, maybe I'd ask for like a body with less metal in my joints. <laughs> like that'd be quite nice. Um, 
And there's nothing wrong with wanting any of those things. Nothing at all. But, but what if I told you that none of those things will actually satisfy you? What if I told you that none of those things are really what you need? And maybe your initial reaction is, well, how can you tell me what I really need? You don't know the ins and outs of my life. I know some of you pretty well. But even in my best friends, I don't know the ins and outs of what goes on in your mind and your heart. Maybe you say to me, well, listen, you just don't know what it's like to be plagued with money worries, to to not know how I'm going to put food on the table or to, to pay the rent at the end of the month. And maybe you don't know what it's like to live with the the loneliness of of being single and and just wanting to be married and seeing all your friends get married and and somehow it's not happening for you. And maybe you might say, well, you don't know what it's like to live with chronic pain. It's just a a struggle to walk around. Well, I, I want to be clear here that I'm not trying to belittle anything that anyone is going through. And in fact, we're going to see through this passage that, that Jesus is so compassionate to our physical needs and the difficulties of our lives. But what I am trying to point out is that we don't always know what we need, right? We don't always know what we need. Um, they say you should never go shopping when you're hungry. And from experience, that's true. I had to confess to Healy this week that when sometimes when I go to Dunn's to get stuff for dinner... I'll buy a bag of Revels. I mean, I'm talking the, the treats, not the tiny one, the share bag, and I'll smash that on the way home, right, before dinner. Like, the whole, like just eat the whole bag of Revels. And that's what we do in life, isn't it? We, we, we find it hard to see past our immediate need. We find it difficult to look past what is directly in front of us and, and see what the real need is underneath. So in Dunn's, when it's five o'clock and I'm hungry, I don't need a bag of Revels that's going to give me a sugar hit for 20 minutes. I need a nutritious meal that's going to carry me through to breakfast the next day. And so it is with every area of our lives. There is a deeper need that we all have, that we're all born with, that Jesus comes to make us aware of and to fulfill. Jesus comes to show us that our greatest need is that we are sinful people in need of salvation, every single one of us. And he comes to fulfill that need by being the one who is able to forgive sins. And so what we see in our passage this morning is really, really simple. Jesus is both willing and powerful to save. That's it. Jesus is both willing and powerful to save. So let's look at this first one. Jesus is willing to save. The first person we see uh, Jesus interacting with is the leper. Um, in those days, leprosy was associated with sin. It was a picture of not just physical impurity, but also spiritually impurity. And in this story, we see an amazing picture of how Jesus cleanses us from our sin. Uh, the term leprosy, uh, in the Greek, it's uh, lepra, so pretty easy one to remember. Um, but that, that's a term that covers all kinds of skin diseases, right? It's not just, um, I think what we know as leprosy now is called Hansen's disease. There's a few doctors in the room, so I don't want to kind of look at you right now. I, you, know, you tell me if I'm wrong afterwards. But that's what we know as the classic leprosy, um, where you have rotting flesh and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the, 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 this leprosy in the Bible covers all kinds of skin diseases, some of them fatal and some of them not. But whatever kind of disease this man had, we know that it was severe because Luke in verse 12 tells us that he was full of leprosy. Full of leprosy. This is Luke's way of saying that he was visibly affected by this disease. He was disfigured in some way. If we had saw him, we would have been taken aback at his appearance. 
And I think it's really hard for us to put ourselves in this man's shoes. Now remember, this is a time before science and medicine in, in any way that we would recognize them. It's a time of superstition and ignorance. This man wouldn't have had access to health care or medicine. He was an outcast. He was ostracized from all aspects of community life. See, lepers had to live outside the community. This man couldn't be with his family if he had any. If he had been married or had children before he contracted this disease, he would have had to leave them. That's maybe the saddest part of this story. He wasn't allowed to have a job, which meant that he was poor and destitute. Uh, maybe he, he was surviving because some people were leaving food at a safe distance for him and, and some other lepers that were around. And the laws of the day said that he would have had to stay 50 meters away from people if he was upwind of them, and at least two meters away if he was downwind. Sound familiar? <laughs> that social distance thing? I was saying earlier, like the leprosy thing, I was finding it hard to you know, not draw comparisons to, to all the COVID stuff. But he wasn't even allowed to participate in any religious activities. He couldn't go to temple, couldn't go to synagogue, he couldn't offer sacrifices. And so he was seen not just as physically unclean, but also spiritually unclean. Imagine not even being able to go to church. Life is, life is absolutely terrible and you can't even go to church to pray. Separated from people, but you're also separated from God. One author uh, from just after this time uh, called Josephus, he was a historian, he says that having leprosy in that time in that culture was a living death. That's what it was known as. It was a living death. And to the rabbis of the day, healing a leper was as difficult as raising a dead per person to life. And to cap it all off, as if all of that wasn't enough, lepers had to wear rags so that people could tell that they were to be avoided. And then they also had to, everywhere they went, shout out, unclean, unclean, so that people knew to stay away from them. I don't think we can begin to imagine the shame that this man faced in his life. Every single day of his life was unbearable. The pain, the loneliness, and the crippling shame. I imagine that however this disease affected him physically wasn't even anywhere close to being the worst part of this condition. But there's a few surprising things that happen in this story. The first thing is that this man comes to Jesus. You see, he takes a risk. He broke all the rules. He's actually breaking the, the law by approaching people. You can imagine the scene, can't you? The crowds are all gathered around Jesus as they were doing at that time. And then they hear this voice, unclean, unclean. And then the crowd parts like the Red Sea as everyone's like, oh my goodness, he's actually coming towards us. We need to stay away. The people move out of the way to, being, uh, to avoid uh, being close to him. But Jesus doesn't move. I wonder what his disciples thought at this point. At least James and, uh, uh, Peter and James and John are with him at this point. I wonder what they're thinking. Why is Jesus not moving? And this man does all of this because he believes that there's a chance that this man, Jesus, might be able to heal him. Somehow he's heard something about Jesus that brings him here. And whatever he had heard, there is something in him that says, Jesus is my only hope. I can't imagine how many times he's given up hope. 
probably, I can imagine, suicidal thoughts. Life really isn't worth living. And here he is saying, Jesus might just be my only hope. And this is the way that we all should come to Jesus, isn't it? This is how any of us are saved at all. We come to Jesus in complete humility, trusting that he is our only hope. Falling down before him and asking him to save us. It's the only hope that any of us have that, uh, is that Jesus is our only hope. And so he comes to Jesus in humility and he falls down in front of Jesus and he begs him in a way that shows his complete humility and desperation. And listen to what happens next in verses 12 to 13. Let me read it again. Um, when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Did you notice what's going on here? He says to Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. In other words, he's saying to Jesus, I know that if you want to, you can heal me. This man knew that Jesus could heal him. There was no doubt in his mind that Jesus was able to heal him. Whatever he had heard about Jesus, or maybe even seen from a distance, um, he knew that Jesus had the ability to heal him. He didn't doubt Jesus' ability. He doubted Jesus' willingness. And to be honest, I, I kind of get this. Think about this man. He's been living with complete shame and rejection for goodness knows how long. Living in rags, having people run away from him, shouting out that he is unclean. He's been separated not just from his friends and family, but all of society. Everything about this man's life tells him that he is unworthy and he is too unclean for even Jesus to cleanse. Why would he want to associate with me? I am worthless. I am physically unclean. I am spiritually impure. Jesus, I know this is a long shot. You probably want to run away from me or tell me to get lost. But if there is any chance, any chance at all that you might be willing, I know that you can do this. And this is when the next surprising thing happens. Honestly, these are probably the words that have struck me the most out of this whole passage. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus touches him. See, not only is Jesus able to save, he is full of compassion. We've already seen him heal people without touching them. He cast the demon out in the synagogue by just speaking to it. He healed Peter's mother-in-law by just speaking. He didn't have to touch this man. He chooses to touch him. You see the compassion in Jesus. You see the love that he has for the outcast. Think about the impact for this poor man. How long has it been since he has had any physical human contact? People going out of their way to avoid contact with him, but Jesus touches the untouchable. I remember a, a, young, a young man I used to know when, uh, in, a, in a different line of work, and uh, one day I went to hug him for the first time, and he physically recoiled, said he hadn't been hugged in two years. This made me think of the famous scenes in, in uh, I mean, I'm too young to remember it, but um, I've seen it on the crown, <laughs> and then made me look it up. Famous scenes in 1987 when, when Princess Diana went to the, 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 the AIDS hospital in Harlem in New York, 
and she famously hugs the AIDS victims. This was completely unprecedented. The stigma around AIDS at the time, the fear of contracting the disease, and the shame that these people lived with, and through a simple act of, of human touch, she restored some of their dignity. And even though she restored some of their dignity, she could never do what Jesus does for this man. Even with all the will in the world, she could never heal them from AIDS. But Jesus is both able and willing to save. This man came with no doubt that Jesus could save him, but he couldn't dare to believe that Jesus would save him. Then Jesus says the most beautiful words, I am willing, be clean. Will you save me, Jesus? I will, be clean. Sometimes we can be like this man, can't we? We doubt, that, we doubt that Jesus really wants to save us. We can find it hard to believe that Jesus wants anything to do with us. We talk a lot in church about Jesus' ability to save. And that's a good thing. We know the power of the cross. We know that he died to save us. We understand that he is able, but somewhere deep down we might not believe that he wants to save us. That he is willing to cleanse us. Or even we think, well, I, I know that he can forgive these things, but, but, but maybe that thing, I just don't know if he can forgive that. Church, please hear me this morning. Jesus is both able and willing to save. Jesus wants to save you. You are not too unclean for Jesus to cleanse. None of us are. Isn't that amazing? No matter how dirty we get, Dirty we are, Jesus, we're not too dirty for Jesus to cleanse us. I think there's two types of people in the world, those that don't think they need saving and those that think that Jesus would never want to save them. Well, let me be clear, because the good news is that you are not too unclean for Jesus to save. There is nothing you have done that Jesus cannot cleanse. No matter how bad you are, no matter what you have done, no matter how dark your thoughts that you know to be completely impure and wrong, Jesus wants to cleanse you. First uh, John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He, that's Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see that? All unrighteousness. Not just the, mi the minor things, not just the small things, but all unrighteousness. Jesus didn't die for some of our sins, but for our sinfulness in its entirety. And here's the thing. When Jesus touched this man, Jesus didn't get infected with the disease. Jesus didn't become unclean. Jesus didn't become a leper. The disease didn't pass from the leper to Jesus. Jesus' cleanliness passed from him to the leper. So it is with our sin. When we come to Jesus in humility and ask him to save us, his righteousness passes to us. This is one of the most amazing parts of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, For our sake, he I'll read it and then I'll explain it. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me put that in simple words. God put our wrong onto Christ, who never did anything wrong, so that we could be made right with God. 
Jesus touches us and he takes our sin and our guilt and our shame and in return he gives us his holiness, his righteousness, his cleanliness, his purity. Isn't that amazing? When, when we trust in Jesus, he drapes his righteousness around us like a cloak. And, and so as far as God is concerned, now we are just as righteous as Jesus Isn't that amazing? And I find it hard to believe because I know the sin within me. But this is what Jesus says. This is what Jesus does. So no matter how guilty and shameful you feel because of what you have done or said or thought, whether it's in the past or even just this week or even just this morning, if you are trusting in Jesus, his righteousness has passed to you and all your sin is cleansed. All of it. We can't imagine the shame that this man lived with. And in an instant, Jesus took it away. And so he tells him to, to follow the law. To, to go, don't go straight home. Don't go and tell people right now. You've got to obey the law. You, you've got to go and tell the priest. Because it was the priest who had the authority to declare when someone had had a, a skin disease that, that had been removed. That had been healed. And Jesus is eager to fulfill and obey the law. But imagine how this man felt having his shame taken away. He could hug his kids again. He could hold his wife's hand again. He would go for a coffee with his friends again. He could work again. He was restored. Leprosy was a living death and Jesus raised him from death to life. And just as Jesus took this man's shame, the same power of Jesus takes away our shame when we trust in him. So if you're a Christian, Jesus has taken your shame. So let me ask, why do we carry it around? Why do we carry around shame for our sin? If we, if we trust Jesus but continue to be full of shame for our sin, it would be like if Jesus had healed this man, but he, stepped, he kept on living like a leper. He's completely pure skin now, but he's still wearing the rags, walking around shouting, unclean, unclean, and not being near anyone. When we trust in Jesus, he puts his righteousness on us. All our unrighteousness has been taken away by the blood of Jesus. And we now get to live in the freedom that he has given us. Do you see how good Jesus is? Do you see how amazing this thing we call the gospel is? We no longer have to carry around the shame. We're no longer unclean. We're made clean by the touch of Jesus. So Jesus is willing to save. He loves you. He is willing to save you. The second thing we see is that Jesus has the power to forgive sins. He is both willing and he is powerful to save. Jesus has the power to forgive sins. The next kind of interaction is, is with this paralyzed man. Uh, Jesus is in a house teaching. Um, we don't know how many people are there, but it was packed out. Uh, some, some scholars say it's probably about 75 people crammed in this tiny house um, uh, and, and then more people outside. Uh, imagine the scene. So Jesus is teaching. He's sitting there in the house. Remember in those days, teachers sat down to teach. not like us today where we get up to speak. Uh, maybe we should try that. I could sit down. You could all stand up. Um, Jesus is sitting teaching. Everyone's quiet, hanging on his every word. They've come to hear what he has to say after all. They've come to be healed. They've come to hear him. 
And then they hear a, a commotion coming from the, the, the ceiling. Maybe it's a bit of banging or something. And then dust starts to fall down. And the noise gets louder and louder. And people start to look up. What is going on? Then a hole appears in the ceiling. And as the hole gets bigger, a man on a stretcher is lowered down into the middle of the room. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. I don't know who owned this house, but I'm sure they were not happy about what was happening. But Jesus doesn't see this as a problem. Whatever people might see as uh, disruption or even vandalism, Jesus sees as faith. Verse 20 uh, tells us that he sees their faith. This paralyzed man has good friends, doesn't he? They brought him to the only person who could ever do anything for him. Notice this, his friends brought him to Jesus. They're desperate for him to see Jesus. They want him to be healed. And they do everything they can to to get him in front of the healer. It wasn't easy. It was hard work getting him there. They had to like maybe carry this man up a ladder, get him on the roof, and then in the baking sun, like start peeling back the roof tiles and working their way through the the roof. The roof would have been covered with a layer of, of essentially dirt, which insulated the house. They had to dig that back and then clear all the roof tiles. They labor to get this man in front of Jesus. Now let's pause here for a second. As church, we need to bring our friends to Jesus. We, we, we need to be, we need to love our friends the way this man's friends loved him. We need to do what we can to present our friends to Jesus. We can take a really good example from these guys. We all All of us have friends or family members or loved ones who who don't know Jesus and we need to bring them to him. I wonder what that that means for us. Do we we regularly come to Jesus and pray for our non-Christian friends and loved ones? Presenting them to Jesus. Jesus, please heal this person. Do we come to Jesus and say, Lord, please save this person? Do we labor in prayer and even labor going out of our way in evangelism to to bring our friends to Jesus? This is so challenging for me standing up here saying this to you guys, I have to be honest. In our missional communities and core groups, sharing uh, sharing these people that we we love that don't know the Lord and, and saying, can you please join with me in bringing this person to Jesus? Can we pray for him or her together? I wonder when it comes to our lost loved ones, does Jesus see our faith the way he saw the faith of this man's friends? It wasn't the paralyzed man's faith that he saw. He saw the faith of this man's friends. I wonder could Jesus say the same thing about us? I see the faith of this church. Does Jesus look at us and say, I see their faith. I'm going to save these people. Because I need to be honest that there's people in my life um, that I love, and I don't, I, don't, I don't sometimes honestly believe that Jesus can save them. At least I don't act like Jesus can save them. And the lesson is, let's have faith like these guys, ripping up roof tiles, doing whatever it takes to get our friends in front of Jesus, to present them to Him, the only one who can save them. And then when Jesus sees their faith, He does something that is probably quite surprising. He doesn't do what he has done before. He doesn't immediately say, oh, of course, like, get up, you're healed. Not immediately anyway. He says, 
man, your sins are forgiven. I don't know. It's sometimes in my head, it's like the way I might say man. Like, man, your sins are forgiven. This is him just addressing the, the fact that the guy is a man. Um, these guys have brought their, their, their friends to be healed of his physical condition. But Jesus sees him and, and sees in him an even greater need. Now, just like the leper, it's hard for us to imagine how difficult this man's life would have been. He couldn't walk, therefore he couldn't work. So therefore, he would have been poor and destitute, just like the leper. There was no health care or disability charities. There were no wheelchairs or disability aids to help him live a full life. We could say that this man was in a lot of need. And yet, Jesus sees that this man's real need is not that he couldn't walk, or that he was poor, or that he lacked dignity. It was that he was a sinner in need of forgiveness. Jesus saw his greatest need, and he knows our greatest need. Whatever those things you think of, when I said, if I could give you your, your, your deepest desires of your heart, Jesus says, that's fine, but you have an even greater need. Yes, of course Jesus cares about our physical need. We just saw his compassion with the leper. And even later on with this man, when he restores his ability to walk. I even right throughout scripture, we, we see that God is clearly biased towards the poor and the needy. But there is a much deeper need than any material, material or physical or emotional need that we might have. All of us are born as sinners in need of forgiveness. All of us, every single one. If you were with us on Ash Wednesday, this is what we heard, isn't it? We all need to face up to this universal truth. I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. Let me say this as clearly as I possibly can. You are a sinner and you need forgiveness. Now there are some present in this house this day and they don't like what's happening here. Listen to verses 20, from 21 on to 24. They say, um, it says, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to, to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. You see, Jesus is starting to face opposition. Um, the Pharisees think that Jesus is being blasphemous. They say, how can you say this? Only God has the power to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. And you know what? They're absolutely right. That's the thing. They're absolutely right. Only God can forgive sins. They're right in that, but they fail to see that Jesus is God. Jesus is giving them a powerful sign that he is the Messiah, that the age of the kingdom of God has come, and they don't recognize it. And Jesus responds and asks them, well, listen, what's easier? Is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or tell this paralyzed man to get up and walk? Because actually to say, to tell someone their sins are forgiven is the harder thing to do. Firstly, because there's no immediate evidence of that. Like if I say to someone, a paralyzed person, get up and walk, and they get up and walk, there's evidence that that, that has actually happened. Something outward has happened. But also, forgiving sins is not something that just anyone can do. I have no power to forgive your sins. 
if, if you steal some money from me, good luck because I don't have any. But if you imagine in a world where I had some money and you could steal it and you stole it, I can forgive you for that. But I can't forgive you if you steal money from someone else. It's actually, how, how can that work? How can I forgive you? You see what I'm saying? To what higher authority do I appeal to forgive you of your sins against someone else? <clears throat> Only God can do that. So Jesus actually here does the harder work of forgiving this man's sin. And then Jesus heals this man physically to show them that he has the power to forgive sins. And he says, but that you may know, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. In other words, I'm going to do this to show you who I am so that you will know and recognize that I am the Son of Man to show you that I am the Christ. Actually, people, I used to hear this a lot, that Jesus never told anyone that he was the Son of God. He actually says all the time. He shows all the time. He says, I'm doing this so you will know. And the man is healed immediately. This is another sign that the kingdom of God has come and that the, the age of the Messiah has come. Isaiah 35 tells us that when the kingdom of God comes, that the, the lame shall leap like the deer. And here is Jesus fulfilling that prophecy. I can imagine if it was me, like leaping the whole way home, testing out my new legs. I imagine he was doing similar things. Now here's the thing. Clearly, we don't live in the fullness of, God, the, fullness of the kingdom of God just yet. There's still sin in the world. We all struggle with sin internally. There's still sickness in the world. Dictators still invade poor countries and kill children. But this doesn't mean that we Christians don't live in the kingdom of God here and now. The man didn't wait until he was in heaven to start walking around. He got up immediately and walked home. Just just the same as this man got up and walked. Forgiveness of our sin is immediate. We get to live in that here and now. If you believe that Jesus died for your sin and rose from the dead, your sin is forgiven and you don't need to carry that around anymore. Sometimes we live as if Jesus actually hasn't been raised from the dead, don't we? We carry guilt over our sin around and we beat ourselves up with it and we allow the devil to beat us up with it. But Jesus has the power to forgive sins. And if you are in Jesus, then he has forgiven you as surely as this man got up and walked. Just as Jesus restored this man's life, so he restores life to all those who trust in him. So stop carrying guilt over your sin that has already been forgiven. Jesus has forgiven you. When he heals us, he doesn't just do half a job. He does a complete job. He doesn't say, well, um, now maybe start some baby steps. Okay, let's get you on your feet like my physio. Like, let's try this one little exercise. No, he says, get up and go home. <laughs> he heals completely. Jesus has the power to forgive sins. And when we trust him, he not only forgives the, the sins in our past, 
but also in our present and also in our future. It's completely done, completely paid for. And so when we sin, we don't wallow in it. We don't let it stop us from following Jesus. We confess, we say sorry, and we look to the cross and remember that Jesus has the power to forgive sins. And in him, we are completely free. Our sin, all of it, was nailed to the cross. And so we get to be like this man and get up and walk. See how good Jesus is. Don't carry the guilt of your sin around. I'm not good enough to be a Christian. I, I, I have this in my life. Jesus says, get up and walk. You're healed. In this last verse, Jesus, um, or we see Luke tells us how the, the, the people react to what they've heard. Verse 26, an amazement seized them all and they, all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. There's something telling about this. They glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things. I think there's a reason Luke doesn't say, doesn't record them saying, we have seen an extraordinary man today. We don't know how many of them uh, received and fully understands Jesus. But I think the way that Luke words this is meant to draw attention to the fact that they're amazed by the things that Jesus has done and maybe not that amazed by Jesus himself. We don't know if they fully understand that Jesus was showing that he is the one who can forgive sins. We don't know if they fully grasp that our greater need is, is greater than being paralyzed or having leprosy. And so the invitation for us is to see Jesus for who he really is. We can hear about Jesus doing these amazing things. Uh, we can even be amazed by the things that, that, that he says, but still go away not receiving it in our hearts. Maybe you've been coming to church for years and not really received it in your heart. So the question is, will we just be amazed? Or will we realize that we are the leper? That we are the paralyzed person in need of cleansing, in need of healing, and that Jesus is the one who brings us cleansing and healing. In these miracles, we need to see that we have a deep, deep need and that Jesus is the only one who can meet that need. Whatever your heart desires, whatever you would ask me for if I had power to grant it, the greater need is always Jesus, always and the amazing thing is that, that while we were as unlovable as a leper and as helpless as a paralyzed person, Jesus comes to us in our need, touches us. And when we accept our neediness and accept him as our cleanser and healer and savior, he is both willing and powerful to save. And one last thing, if you're hearing this and you're thinking, I know all this. I'm already a Christian. I, I, I don't, I mean, I, I don't need Jesus to cleanse me and heal me. Like, come on. Well, just be careful because this is what the Pharisees thought. They thought they had religion nailed. They thought they kept all the law and went to church and gave money to the church and all that kind of stuff. And they were the clean ones. And to not accept our neediness would be like if the leper said to Jesus, I don't need you to heal me. We are all in need of the gospel. So let's come to Jesus now, whether it's for the millionth time 
or whether it's for the first time, the invitation is there. Come to Jesus. He is willing and powerful and able to save. He wants to save you. There is cleansing to be found only in Him. There is forgiveness to be found only in Him. Let's all just turn to Him again. Thank Him and praise Him for what He has done. Receive Him. Before I pray and before we come to the table, maybe you just need to take a second and maybe there's some, maybe there's some sin that, that you have to confess. I'd say that we all do, right? <laughs> maybe you, when you do that, you need to remember that you are forgiven, completely forgiven. Or maybe you need to take a minute and, and just let, let go, lay down the shame and the guilt that you carry around for the way you are, for the things you do, for the things you say, for the things you think, that you just won't let Jesus forgive you of. Just spend a second doing that and realizing that he is both willing, able to save us and cleanse us completely. Come Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've been speaking to us this morning. Lord, I just pray for us all in this room. And I just pray that we would realize the heart of Jesus completely willing and desiring and, and desperate to save us. Much so that, that he sacrificed himself to death on a cross so that he could heal us, so that he could save us. Lord, I just pray that for anyone who has never received that, for anyone who has never realized their need of salvation, I pray that now would be the moment, realizing that deepest need, realize that Jesus is both willing and able to forgive. And Lord, for those of us who are Christians, but still carry around shame and still carry around guilt, Father, I pray that you would allow us to lay those things at the cross.